From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy Jung. Big sprawling houses built to the fence line and tiny backyards, dark roofs. It's the kind of drone shot that typifies new suburbs right across Australia. It's the kind of suburb where trees with backyards are rare and electricity bills are astronomical. And on some days, it's actually one of the hottest places on earth. Yes, Penrith in Sydney's west hit a hot 48.9 degrees on the 4th of January 2020, making it officially the hottest place on earth for that day. Now, what does all of this have to do with GPs? Well, in this episode of The Tea Room, we chat with medical journalist Mariella Attard. She's been investigating the nexus of health and urban design for some time. She's got some insights on this hot topic. Okay, that was really bad. Welcome, Mariella. Thanks for joining us in The Tea Room. Glad to see you've got your coffee ready. Hi, Wendy. Thanks for asking me. Can you give a bit of a description of what are some of the health issues that are created by urban design? So one of the things that's a little bit easier to see is walkability, for instance. So either you have towns and suburbs where places are too far to walk, so we don't get that incidental exercise and all we do is get in our cars and drive to the shops and sit in traffic for three hours and then drive back, or they're not, um, they don't feel safe to walk through, so you might you know, you might be wanting to take your dog for a, a daily constitutional, but the only place you've got around you are car parks and four-lane highways. Right, yeah. Um, or, you know, outside of work hours, there are only dark spaces that don't feel safe to walk around. And uh, as we know, a lot of, you know, chronic conditions are affected by things like exercise. Access to fresh food is another thing. You know, you might be in a neighborhood where your closest source of food is a fast food joint, which I won't name specifically. Um, <laughs> or, you know, or you can't get fresh veggies uh, or there's no transport nearby. Yeah, all of those kinds of things are the most easily seen things. Beyond that, you've also got stuff like, for example, you might have a big development where costs have been cut so you don't necessarily have the best design you might not have airflow you might not have connection to the street which is something that uh, councillor Jonathan Street talks about he's a Brisbane councillor from the inner seat of Gabba um, and he talks there about how some of the developments are created for investors who are never going to live there so Things that affect people's health are not necessarily their priority. Uh, so you've got things like, you know, maybe air conditioning units that aren't going to last 10 years and you're not going to get good airflow. You don't have connection to the street level. So you might be going up a lift uh, to your 20th floor flat and then going back down the lift down to the basement, getting in your car and driving away. Uh, so you're not getting sort of, you know, the mental health benefits of socializing, you're not walking around in your neighborhood, that kind of thing. And one of the other things, it was interesting talking to Dr. Bastian Seidel, who used to be the shadow minister for health in Tasmania. And one of the things that he told me was that when there was a big development going in in his area, health was not really considered at all in terms of access to services. So I guess these developers will set up uh, shopping centers in big suburban developments and just expect doctors to come is that how it works yes it looks that way but dr seidel said that's not enough 
really. Um, you're just kind of leaving it to market forces. And one of the interesting things he said was, you know, in the same way that we need to have environmental impact statements, perhaps we should have health impact statements that need to be done as well. Mm. So some of the conditions that you talked about, walkability, socialising, those would probably relate to chronic conditions. What about acute illnesses or health burden that's created from heat, for example? Yeah, that was a big one. So when I spoke to Dr. Kim Liu, who's a Western Sydney doctor, uh, she talked about Well, she mentioned how in Penrith, as you said, the temperature nearly got to 50 degrees in the summer. And obviously that has quite acute health impact. For example, on pregnant women, it can affect the size of their babies and can bring on early labor. That's an obvious one. Obviously, you know, you do get deaths from heat, unfortunately. And one of the interesting things she talked about there was the social determinants of health. So, you know, if you're on a low income, you may not necessarily have the resources to properly cool or heat your house. And that's going to have an immediate impact on your health too. Is this just a new issue that climate change is making more obvious, bringing into people's periphery? Um, I think from, you know, from hearing what people had to say, climate change is definitely making it more important to address right now or not more important, I guess we're just having to face it because we're seeing it. But in fact, health and urban planning have been connected since the very beginning. I mean, you know, we all know the story of the cholera epidemic and Jon Snow and the Broad Street pump. But even here in Australia, at one point, I think I was reading in Sydney, the infant mortality rate uh, in the 1850s was worse than London's during cholera years. And we did have Australian politicians and doctors really pushing for that link between health and planning. And they they thought it was going to happen, really, that that was how we would plan our cities, but uh, doesn't really seem to have panned out that way. Was there anything that surprised you in your investigation of this topic? I was a little surprised, actually, that there really are no formal mechanisms for involving health experts and, yeah, and planning for health. I mean, I was a bit shocked by that. I thought there would be something. And I think if you don't regulate for it, you don't get it. That's why we have environmental regulations, don't we? I don't imagine that all of that stuff would get done otherwise. But even workplace health and safety. So there's so much regulation around slips, trips and falls and and more serious injuries from, you know, factories. But we don't look at we don't look at workplace health and safety. We don't look at health and safety in urban environments and regulate on that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, you have to worry about things like trip hazards and is that cupboard going to fall on someone's head? So that's like the immediate stuff. But there's not really thought about longer term health and chronic health issues. And, you know, with the chronic health stuff, I suppose, yeah, because it's not happening right away and it's cumulative and maybe you couldn't pin it back to that specific development. Yeah, yeah. Like anything, you can't say, well, it was this one developer who caused this chronic health burden. But we know where we know where these diseases come from. We know what perpetuates them anyway. You know, we know where we know what creates a bad, unhealthy life for people. Yeah, actually, Dr. Kent was talking about something that she's pretty interested in, which is the concept of having enough time 
and the link with urban density. So if things are far apart, you're spending a lot of time just getting from A to B. And, you know, it's it's a finite resource. So when exactly are you going to find the time to go and buy all that fresh, healthy food mm. and cook it? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, and when are you going to find the time to exercise? Because you have to work this many hours and maybe you have to pick up the kids from school or look up after your elderly parents or any any other thing. You know, unfortunately, then exercise tends to be the discretionary thing that you can cut. And, you know, what if you didn't have to spend that two hours in traffic every day or on the train? And then I think the point around if your space, if you don't feel safe in your neighbourhood, you're not going to go walking around in the evening when it's dark. I hadn't thought of that before. That was really... That was an eye-opener. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I, I mean, for me, one of the things that obviously really stuck out, and, and all of the people I talked to were very aware of this, mentioned it, was, you know, it just so depends on where you live, your health. It's such a big factor. Um, and, and some of us have won the lottery when it comes to that. Some of us have parks and trees and footpaths that you know it, it's great and others do not have that and those things have such a direct impact and it I don't know I guess it just struck me as so completely unfair and uh something we don't really think about at the start of the planning process and I wish we would and I reckon GPs and other doctors as busy as they are like it's they have such a, an interest in this a vested interest in this because they are the ones who end up having to look after the people uh, that planning doesn't serve. Yeah. What's the best way for doctors to have an impact on planning? Well, Dr. Kim Liu says really the best way is to get involved in local groups, to become the person who knows about uh, the issues in your area and then you know, hopefully get invited to be on decision-making bodies. And you can get to know about your own area and, the well, the place where your patients have to live and implement health strategies, I guess. Uh, one of the ways that was quite interesting, when I talked to Professor Giles Cordy, and she's the director of the Healthy Livable Cities Lab at RMIT, she mentioned something called the Australian Urban Observatory, which you can access online. And it actually gives you really in-depth information about your own LGA, what, you know, what services are there, the actual lay of the land. So, you know, if you're telling your patient they should go for a walk or should do this and that, you can actually have a look around in their area and see, well, what can they do? What is there for them? Can they go and, you know, get food to eat this way or, or get some exercise or that kind of thing? Yeah, I also got to read this really interesting book. I learned a lot from it. It's by Dr. Jennifer Kent. She's a senior research fellow in urbanism, I think it's called, at the Sydney School of Architecture at Sydney University. The book was called Planning Australia's Healthy Built Environments. And it was just a really good way just to get all of the, I guess, all of the terminology and understanding of kind of the different concepts around urban planning and health. This is so important and it's so fascinating because form and function, you know, do we, the way we create something, the form of it dictates the function, but it's also mm. the other way around, you know, when, when the function should be dictating 
the form of a suburb. You know, mm. we want a healthy, functioning suburb that should dictate the form. Maybe we should send this uh, podcast to all the to the to all the relevant parties. <laughs> it's election time. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> so if you're listening in, send this podcast <laughs> around, share it around. We need the voice of doctors in urban design if we're going to reduce the health burden. You know, okay, the government is always spending ridiculously small amounts on preventative health. How about proactive health through urban design? There you go. It's fabulous, Wendy. So thanks again, Mariella, for sharing your insights with us. Urban planning, urban design, health burden, it is increasingly becoming a big part of our lives, a big part of what GPs are going to be dealing with in the future. So check out our show notes for links to get involved if this is an area of specialization. We'll also put a link to the book that Mariella mentioned. Thanks, Mariella Attard, for joining us and sharing your insights today on The Tea Room. Thanks, Wendy. Have a great day. You too. If you like what you've heard, head on over to Spotify or iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and you can listen to our other episodes and subscribe. Leave us a review while you're there. And if you have any news tips or just want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at The Medical Republic. Visit medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.